0: Talking to you about the next several weeks. About uh, if you've never been to basic training, we're going to basic training for the next uh, ten weeks. Basic training uh, for life, and uh, this is good uh, for each and every one of us. It's good to rehearse some of these things, and it's good for others that may not know some of those things. Some of the things we're going to be talking about over the next ten weeks will be repentance, water baptism, spirit baptism, worship, prayer, the Godhead, holiness, standards, spiritual gifts, and the church. For the next 10 weeks uh, because I do believe that we are living in some of the, the end times last time so we've heard that for years we've went over that haven't we but I believe we're living in some of the end times but there is a survival kit if you will in order to pe- be prepared for the days that we are uh, living in if I may just read a scripture as he's passing that out the Bible says but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, there is something posed. What manner of persons ought ye to be? So with all of this taking place, going to take place and going to happen, what type of people should we be? What type of uh, character, integrity Uh, should we have so this morning we're going back to rudimentary element I know we spoke about this a couple Sundays ago and I'm going to talk about it again amen maybe just through a different lens or a different view this morning and you can remain seated. we'll just hit some scripture as we go along and all of that's out there for your uh, perusal and benefit if you want to fill in those blanks you can if you wish not to that's fine Uh, you can just doodle while I talk people's been convicted of that before amen Hallelujah. It's been said many times, many times that remodeling a house is more difficult than just building a house. Uh, I've heard people say it before. You know, build a house, it's much easier than remodeling a house because whenever you remodel a house, uh, there are some things that are, are needful necessary and what is necessary is that first of all, you've got to tear out what doesn't belong. Tear out what doesn't belong there. And in the process of tearing out what doesn't belong there, you got to be careful not to damage what needs to remain there. And so, so it's a, it could be a very uh, arduous task to tear out what doesn't belong while at the same time keeping intact what should and does belong. And then finally, you're bringing in the new, the remodel part. You may be adding some things that are new and you're incorporating them into what is already established, what is already there, what should remain. And so over the next 10 weeks, uh, we're going to try uh, to the best of our ability to tear out some things that don't belong uh, while leaving intact some things what should belong and add some things that we need to be there and incorporate them into what is already established. I say that because uh, today we live in a dip and dot ice cream world whenever it comes to religion, all right? Any flavor that you want is out there. Any flavor that you want is readily available. And there's a lot of different ideologies. There's a lot of different teachings. Might I even preface a lot of false teachings that are out there and false beliefs that are out there? And, you know, the old saying used to be, you know, if you lie through rose colored glasses, you know, and that's because if the lens is rose colored, then that kind of taints everything that you see. Well, in the religious world, uh, people have adopted doctrines and dogmas and teachings that they that's their lens of viewing everything through. And, and it may not necessarily be true. It may not necessarily be accurate. So we got to, if you will, come and tear down uh, some of the things of old-time tradition that has no biblical basis at all in, in life. we got to tear down all of those traditions to be able to establish something that I hope to say is biblically true. Uh, if it's not found in the Word of God, then it's not biblically true. If it has no, no cornerstone there, then it's not biblically true. And so one of the things that uh, we look at time and time again, we look at again this morning, is the subject matter of repentance. And as it could be stated, I think it is there on your little form today, repentance can be one of the most misunderstood concepts in the church. For that matter, repentance many times is almost glazed over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we we, we put a lot of emphasis on baptism and the right way of baptism and the proper uh, what should be evoked over a person in baptism we concentrate very much so upon uh, receiving the Holy Ghost the Spirit of God inside of us there's a lot of concentration on that but many times to the discredit then of just kind of glazing over repentance But repentance is very, very, very vital to our life. Uh, and, And I believe a reason why people, whenever you don't put a lot of emphasis on repentance, you'll find people not having true peace and true joy and true righteousness in their life, not having the ability to live in complete victory in their walk with the Lord. People that do not embrace uh, repentance in its totality of what it is will have this ebb and flow, up and down, roller coaster Christian life uh, because they've never really embraced the whole principle of repentance. and, And what I'm about ready to say was true for the New Testament church, but it's still true for the modern day church. We find many times that ministry is centered around the idea of trying to help people just stay safe. Uh, the majority even of the New Testament Scripture while Paul's writing all these epistles to churches uh, he's dealing with church people people that should have been saved but is trying to keep them saved and so the problem that he dealt with the same problem guess what here in this century we're dealing with this well is that ministry many times is just devoted to trying to keep people saved but we can I believe uh, fight that better if we will get this principle and foundation of repentance down more so amen i don't believe i don't believe it's uh uh the will of god for us just to constantly be trying to keep people saved amen Uh, for one thing we need to be having our hand on those trying to keep them in line but also reaching for somebody that doesn't know left from right or right from left about all of this Amen. And so the sad fact is uh, there are some people that never reach that place of being mindfully used of the Lord or, or, or at that place where they really need to be spiritually or prospering where they really need to do uh, really need to be in the kingdom of God uh, because they not live in an overcomer's life because we glazed over the area of repentance we're in survival mode just to get by just to survive just to make it but whenever you're in that type of mode and again there's nothing wrong with this I encourage that we should do this but if you have to have this then there's something wrong because sometimes whenever you get into survival mode you always got to have somebody else there that's going to encourage you tell you everything's going to be okay telling telling you you can make it you got what it takes to win and so if life always has to be lived with that type of somebody standing there holding you up telling you you can make it all that then it's kind of counterproductive to the Christian life that we always got to be propped up by others in order to make it with this walk of God. Amen. And so uh, with that, we got to understand then this idea of repentance. We, we need to preach to the lost, yes, and, and that's important, but if we don't watch ourselves, we'll just always spend our time preaching to each other, keeping each other saved. Amen. Amen, and so we gotta get out of that place of survival and get into revival, if, if we could say it like this. And, and, and again, one reason why we stay in survival mode is we don't understand what true repentance is. Uh, we, 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 our, our ideas and our concepts are jaded, again, uh, by different things. Sometimes they're jaded by what we have been taught, amen, maybe not biblically, but what we have been taught, uh, a lot of people go back, they start talking about, well, the church fathers said this, you know, Jerome, Irenaeus, and all, all these others, Ignatius. These are people that they call church fathers. Well, I like to go a little bit further back to the original church fathers. Because a lot of you here today, people, they quote church fathers, but they're quoting some, some, some man that's largely removed uh, from Jesus Christ when he walked upon the earth. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 2, verse number 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed, this is Paul speaking, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, by those 12 uh, disciples or 12 apostles. So if we want to go back to the church fathers, let's go back to the original church fathers because just one century uh, removed from Jesus Christ, uh, or let's even go three, just three centuries removed from Jesus Christ came the doctrine of the Trinity. And so people are going as far back to the third century, amen, talking about the church fathers. Well, let's go a little further than that. Let's go to the original church fathers. And I I declared this this morning. The reason why there is so much problem with people reading Scripture and seeing Trinity in the Bible is because that's the lens they have been taught to look through. Before the third century, everybody was looking through the original church fathers, which was one God that was in and only displayed himself in one person, Jesus Christ. And whenever they read scripture and they seen the terminology of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that didn't trip them up because they were looking through a proper lens. It was only after the third century that there came this teaching that didn't come from the Lord that was brought in. And so then our view and our perspective is all changing. So we got to do remodeling. That's the reason why a lot of what we do in church is a lot of remodeling because people come in with things. From what they've been taught uh, false doctrines that have been initialized in their life and we gotta uh, please I say this very delicately but we gotta take out what, what is incorrect and put in what is correct amen and let's stay there what needs to stay there what's alright and there's gotta be some remodeling that takes place and so it's, it, it's vitally important for us to understand what repentance is it is a foundational doctrine it's not something to be glazed over if Jesus Christ says, except ye repent, ye shall all, all likewise perish, that, that is not parsley on the plate. Amen. That's not something you just knock off and say, well, it made the plate look nice, but it really doesn't, it, it has nothing. It will do no nurturing or nourishment for my body. Wrong. If he said, except you do it, you perish, I believe it's the T-bone steak on the table. Amen. And so it cannot be glazed over and if we're going to build a church if we're going to build a house that's going to survive in this end time then we must have an understanding of repentance a repentance that is not based upon the opinion of man but based upon the word of god and so with that said we can't hang on to concepts concepts that are just simply traditional or denominational amen by nature we got to hold on to the concepts that are biblical Amen. and if if we don't watch ourselves sometimes we will have learned something that really isn't scripturally based amen there's a lot being propagated from pulpits that has no scriptural tie but they pose it forward as though it does Amen. And that jades then the view of what some of these things really, really, really are. And so they're very, very, very important to understand. So don't hang on to, if you're filling in your blanks, don't hang on to concepts that, and this is important, that are only based on traditions, denominations, and the examples of others. Because people let you down too. Speaking of Scripture, Mark 7, I believe it is, in verse 13, the Bible says, they made the word of God of none effect through their traditions. Now, there are some traditions that are tied to scriptural basis. But if you're only going on tradition only, then watch out because that may not necessarily be true. If you've ever uh, purchased something that, you know, some assembly required, you know, now, you know, if you need the bicycle, they'll put it together for you. You can get stuff put together for a little bit more money. But uh, years ago, you didn't even have that option. You took it home, you put it together yourself and so if you ever got the bicycle or some cabinet or some other piece of furniture you opened it up and I don't know if there's ever been anyone in this place like this this might be more along the lines of a guy than it would a female but just think man I I know how to do this who cares about the instructions right I can put this thing together this is a child's toy you know what I'm saying so you think you know how you put it together all the parts are there didn't take time to read the manual or the instructions you start putting everything together man it looks like a bicycle whenever it's done or Looks like a cabinet whenever it's done. Everything's fine and well until there's some extra parts laying around. Well, they just probably send extra in the box, right? Now, they do do that sometimes, but whenever there's a multiple, multiple parts, then there might be just a little bit of problem. And then there you go. Let time maybe take place, and before you know it, the equipment isn't working like it once worked, and it's not operating like it should operate, and it's not upholding like it should uphold. What's going on? Well, somebody didn't follow the instructions. Somebody didn't follow the manual and so what do we do we resort back going through the trash or finding in that file where we filed the manual and we get it out and we look at it and we go back to the instruction manual and we figure out how to put this thing together properly and so whenever it comes to the Christian life sometimes we got to do the same thing Oh, I know how this thing goes. I know how it ought to be done. Don't seek no biblical premise, no biblical principle for it. Just do it the way that we want to do it. Live by tradition, live by what other people tell us. It's okay. They're a good, respectable person or the example of other people's lives. Just do it our own way. And then all of a sudden we wonder why? Why isn't this thing called Christian life working for me? Why can't I overcome? Why, why, why is it that I'm dealing with the same battle and battling the same things over and over and over and over again? What's with this repentance thing? Thought I had it put together right. Well, whenever you do it without reading the instruction manual, without having that biblical prais- basis, you're going to just be in survival mode. Never get to, if you will, revival mode. Let's look at a few things what repentance is not. Before we talk about what it is, let's talk about what it is not. Some misconceptions concerning repentance. Repentance is not a confession. Repentance is not a confession. Hebrews 12 verse 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, For you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. In your blanks this morning, we need to watch out for the Esau syndrome. Because what Esau did, he had the birthright. He was born in such a way the birthright was his. But he traded that birthright, that lifelong gift of God, in order to satisfy a short term appetite and then he was hoping that the blessing would come but the blessing is attached to the birthright when he got rid of the birthright there went the blessing with it and so he was sorry evidently according here to this scripture he was sorry he must have wept he must have wanted God's promise again his blessing in his life but the Bible says that Esau found no place of repentance Whenever we talk about the idea of confession, it's been brought in largely by man, the idea of confession, and it is somewhat of a product of false teachings, and that is the confession process is this. I sin, I feel bad, I confess, I feel better. Mm -hmm. I sin, I feel bad, I confess, I feel better. Uh, We say no confession is good for the soul. Because whenever I speak out my sins, then it relieves me of the feelings of guilt that I had associated with those sins, all right? And that makes me feel better. I think anybody would be able to say, you know, I I know my children. If they told me, Daddy, I took that, they're going to feel better after exactly right after they said that because they're going to feel better about themselves because they have said that. Confession in the Greek means to assent to or agree with in other words, whenever you confess what you have done, you've merely agreed with the Holy Ghost that has pointed out sin in your life, you have sin in your life and you've agreed with the Holy Ghost, yes I did wrong or yes I have done wrong, now listen confession is not repentance confession is a part of repentance but it's not repentance in its totality, it's not repentance in and of itself just to say, hey I've done wrong. Repentance is more than just admitting that something wrong was done. Number two, repentance is not an emotion. Repentance is not an emotion. If you can slobber enough, cry enough, then bless God they've repented. Not necessarily so. Repentance is not an emotion uh, or a sensation. Sometimes you've seen people with hot tears of passion, you know, falling down off of their face, they're weeping, they're wailing. Uh they, they 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 what happens is this people become addicted to a feeling. Mm-hmm. See the emotion process is I sin, I feel bad. I weep well snot and trot, <laughs> whatever, and then I feel better. All right, there's some type of release in all that. But our emotion didn't bring us to change, but to the feeling better part. He said, Oh, <laughs> I feel better but did it bring you to change because there's been a lot of people that's wedded an altar and snotted through a lot of handkerchiefs and left the building and continued in the same area of life that was wrong that drove them to an altar crying and snodding over it repentance is more than an emotion and it's more than just confessing you did wrong repentance demands a change and so that's the reason why we got to get back to biblical repentance where people do more than just say I was wrong and do more than just cry and snot over it we got to get to the place where there's change that's the reason why people go through the constant battle of battling the same thing over and over and over and over because after they felt better about the wrong and they felt better because some of the the guilt was relieved from it they walk out and they fall into the exact same trap what's going on? there's no change there's no change and so we can't just depend upon emotion alone amen we can't just take emotion and take confession and equate that just with repentance in and of itself amen Uh, because feeling better and having repented are two different things amen are two different things amen and while there may be crying and there may be snotting accompanied with repentance that's just not it all in of itself esau evidently confessed his sins amen some would say then since he did that he repented He cried, he bawled, he wept, the Bible says. He sought it carefully with tears. Some would say repented, but the Bible says he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now that does not mean confession is bad. That does not mean that emotion is bad. But they are not repentance in and of itself. For for instance, there are people who have completely changed their sinful lifestyle And never shed a tear. And there are people who cry at the altar constantly, but are never changed. Amen. Amen. And so, people, some have changed their lives without ever confessing a word, and some have confessed their sins till there was nothing left to confess, and then again, never changed. But that's more to repentance than just confession and emotion. One good thing about confession and the emotion is that that can help lead you to repentance. But some people, when they start feeling better, they'll stop short of full repentance. Mm -hmm. Because I said I was wrong, I start feeling better. And we stop short of full snot and everything's going. Man, I got to be happy. This is feeling good. I'm not feeling the guilt and the weight of what I had done. I'm feeling better. Let's get up and go. But true repentance will take you to a place of change. I don't think, I don't think it's entirely God's, God's will for our lives to constantly battle certain things over and over and over and over. Victory, defeat, victory, defeat, victory, defeat, victory, defeat, victory, defeat. No, 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 no. I don't, if he told that we could be conquerors and overcomers, I believe he wasn't lying when he said it. Amen. Now another issue with our confession, in your blanks there, is when we judge the severity of our sin and feel what we decide is a proper amount of sorrow. Because, you know, we judge how severe sin is as human beings. We let our own estimations of the seriousness of sin determine how bad we should or shouldn't feel toward what we've done. For example, I didn't pray today, I'm sorry, Lord. Or I had a bad spirit today, Lord, please forgive me or I commit adultery, Lord, please have mercy on me. I killed someone, oh God, please help. We measure the severity of the sin and then according to however we measure the severity, we equate how much sorrow we should give for the particular sin. But according to the word of the Lord, lies just as bad as a murder. Gossip is just as sinful as adultery. Complacency, prayerlessness, indifference, all these, if you will, just as sinful as fornication. But the weight we put on it is measured by the way we feel about it. Uh huh. And so we understand true repentance. Or maybe we're not putting that weight on it, but society does. Society's real good, real good at doing that. For that matter, society is coming to a place that uh, in, human, in just in human terms and human standards, they're putting less weight on some things than what I would put heavy weights on. Okay, but I understand it's all sin. Well, if, if, if repentance is not confession and not, and not emotion, then let's consider again, as I've already stated, what repentance is. Unger's Bible Dictionary defines repentance in Greek as a change of mind, a fundamental and thorough change in the hearts of men from sin and toward God some of the elements of repentance is this I don't know why we're squilling up here today but a genuine sorrow toward God on account of sin that is one of the essential elements of repentance a genuine sorrow toward God on account of sin 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 8 the Bible says for though I made you sorry with a letter I do not repent though I did repent for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry though it were but for a season now rejoice not that ye were made sorry but that ye sorrowed to repentance for ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing for godly sorrow worketh repentance or change if you will to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death look at verse number 8 if you can go back to verse number 8 amen he's speaking along these terms of repentance as we can see from verse number 9 but he states very clearly that whenever someone truly repents the sorrow is only for a season people find themselves in a perpetual state of sorrow and what it comes down to is they can't forgive themselves right they come to a perpetual state of sorrow true repentance is sorrow yes but only for a season Only for a time. Amen. And one thing is for sure, you shouldn't weep over something that you have truly repented of. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't continually weep over something you truly have repented of. And what happens when you find sometimes people continually weeping over something is that they've not truly repented over it. They've confessed. They've emotionalized and felt better about it, but they did it again. Uh Uh-huh. So they go through the cycle. I feel better about it. I feel bad about it. I feel good about it. I feel, I relieve my guilt from it. I go back to it. And so they're constantly sorrowing over something because there was never the change element. The change element that is a part of Repentance. And note, God makes a very clear distinction between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Again, godly sorrow, amen, produces a repentance or a change that leads to salvation, Scripture tells us. Amen, deliverance from evil, deliverance from all the regrets in your life. But whenever you have a worldly sorrow, look what it worketh. It worketh death amen the breeding the end the deadly the death worldly sorrow says this I wish I could have something that I know I can't have and still have God too worldly sorrow says I want to continue in sin but I want to be saved too worldly sorrow says I hope to be a worldly intellectual uh, successful person but I want Jesus too I want to pursue the world's riches but I want God I want to be popular with the world but I want to stay in church That's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is when you're in that place where you realize you can't have both worlds, but you want both worlds. But the first element found in true repentance is a genuine sorrow toward God on account of your sin. A godly sorrow. Psalms 51 and verse number 1. David is, is praying here after he had made his uh, mistake with Bathsheba the Bible says have mercy upon me O God according thy loving kindness according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge look what David says for I acknowledge my transgression what's he doing? a genuine sorrow amen Talk about his sin I acknowledge my transgressions that could also be some confession I acknowledge my my transgressions and my sin is ever before me verse 4 against thee be only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest verse 9 hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities create in me a clean heart O God renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me so David's praying the prayer of repentance Amen. And he has a genuine sorrow toward God because of the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba. Amen. And there's a difference that we can see between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. For example, if we would look at it, people who are sorry they got caught, worldly sorrow. People who are sorry that they're wrong, but they want to continue in sin, worldly sorrow. People who are sorry they hurt their loved ones, but continue to hurt and bring injury to them anyway, Worldly sorrow. But people who are genuinely sorry, they wrong God. Godly sorrow. Another essential element to the godly sorrow or repentance, if you will, is a inward repugnance. Repugnance just basically means a strong distaste, an aversion, an objection. A strong inward repugnance to sin. You got to adapt a distaste for that just like God has a distaste for it. an objection, an aversion to that, just like God has for it. In other words, we gotta gotta grow to a place that we're personally offended by what we have done. Amen. Personally offended. So much so that we forsake the action of doing. Somebody with me? That's so distasteful to me. That uh, That is so distasteful to me. I don't even want to have anything to do with that anymore. That is is an aversion. I object that. That is offensive to me. What would be acceptable to you before needs to become offensive to you now. Amen. And in doing so, you'll forsake that. Amen. When something becomes offensive to you, you're, you're, you're not intermingling with that. No, no. You try to stay clear of that. The Bible says in Matthew 3 and verse number 8, the scripture says, uh, "Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance." All right. In other words, bring forth fruit that is consistent with repentance. Let your life prove your change of heart. Let your life prove your change of heart. Prove by the way that you live that you truly turned from sins and turned to God. Fruit, meat for repentance. In other words, do show something to show that you've really given up the old life. Stop the wrong, all right, to show that you've turned toward God. Before the apostle Paul was saved, and he was a big extremist, very militantly at that, big extremist against the New Testament church. He was an activist. He was attempting to stop in the work of God, what was taking place. But the day he was saved, And he was in Acts chapter... Uh, 8 and 9, 9 particularly the day that he was saved and he was on his way to this Damascus with letters uh, from the authorities to go among whoever was preaching the name of Jesus and church members that he could take them to prison and do as he would or imprison them even, when all of this happened, here he is, there's extreme af- activists, that, uh, here he is he, he's, very, he's very forthright in everything that he's doing, but after his conversion when he saw the truth of God and he seen whom he was persecuting he said, he said, Lord, uh uh, you know, uh, what, what do I, Lord? And Jesus said, it is Jesus whom thou persecutest. And the light bulb went off in, in Paul's head. The Bible speaks to us that we understand. We can read the rest of Paul's life that he became, he was still an activist and very adamant and very fervent, but was just now for another purpose. In other words, he took his same zeal that he had against the church and now he worked it for the church. Matter of fact, he had such a dramatic change in his life, some of the very own disciples and apostles was a little leery. They were like, this is almost too good to be true. I'm not so sure if I'm ready to travel with him on any missionary journey. You know, because he was killing us before, and now all of a sudden change. They were a little leery because this was just too dynamic for such to happen. Well, that's what happens whenever you get Christ in your life. It can be a total flip over change so dynamic that it will absolutely just cause someone to wag their heads saying, man, this seems too good to be true. Listen, Christ does that type of change. Yeah, he'll take the alcoholic and he'll make him sober. Yeah, he'll take the drug act. Or he'll take, I I know people, they have told stories. They came to God. They received the Holy Ghost. That very night, they went home and they're pouring down fifths of whiskey and they're pouring down alcohol down the toilet and flushing the toilet. What is that? I understand this becoming a new creature thing. I really do, Bishop. But years ago, when people repented and they stopped feeling bad about the sin and the guilt was relieved and they, they confessed, they confessed and the emotion was there they went the step further that needed to be gone there was a change they went back home and said that's gone that's gone I'm getting rid of that why there is a change but now today now today we're we're hokey pokey with whatever it is in our life and we go through the cycle it's a part of us it's not a part of us it's a a part of us it's not a part of us we need to repent not just confession, not just emotion change, that's the true that's the true trunk of repentance change now, herein lies the problem you try change on your own, forget it let the power of God that's in your life do it, but don't keep him at arm's length don't keep him over in the room over here you can go everywhere else, no, no, no let God come in and do the work is it uncomfortable, yes but the more you allow him in the more you'll get offended by the very thing that you once embraced and you'll have an objection to that and an aversion to that so Paul I mean, we see, I mean later he's giving his testimony to King Agrippa and testifying about what God, what's he doing he's just as adamant now as he was then look what he said to the king in Acts 26 verse 20 he said I showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea then to the Gentiles that they should repent this is what Paul says that they should repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. In other words, Paul said, So I preached to them that they should repent and turn to God, and look now, and prove their repentance by their deeds. That's what he's saying. And do works meet for repentance. Prove their repentance by their deeds. He said, I preached it to the Gentiles. I preached it to all these of Judea and through the coast of Judea that this is what must be done. And later in Hebrews 6 and 1, we have spoke of this before, but Paul wrote this to the church in Jerusalem of Hebrews 6 and 1. He says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, which is maturity. hmm huh. Some of the stuff we deal with in church life and some of the things that we'll talk about for the next several weeks we, we deal with a church life. Even whenever it comes later to holiness and standards. You know what that really, what the real issue is? A maturity issue. A maturity issue. He says, let us, let us lead the principles of doctrine of Christ. Let us go on unto perfection or unto maturity. That's literally interpreted maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance. Mm-hmm. From dead works. And of faith toward God. So what are you saying, Paul? Paul's saying we've got to become mature Christians. We've got to come off the milk and get on the meat. We got to become mature Christians. We gotta got start thinking about more things than just running around like a gerbil on a wheel over and over again, the basic things that we have been taught from the beginning. <laughs> It's really not necessary to. We, we, we come back and touch base like we are right now this morning. But it's not necessary for me to come up here every Sunday, or it shouldn't be, to go over the ropes again of repentance. Because somewhere we need to be turning from those deeds that bring spiritual death. Amen. And just have faith in God. See, <laughs> it's it's because constantly battling. The ABCs of Christianity is a lack of maturity. Mm-hmm. It is. And I know some people struggle with certain areas more than others. You might have a child that sucks their thumb, and as they grow older, you might catch them every once in a while sucking their thumb. Mm-hmm. That's a maturity issue. Uh-huh. Many times, uh, uh, potty training can be a maturity issue. Uh huh. <laughs> well, sometimes when we stay in the elementary things of church life, it's a maturity issue. We are not growing up. Amen. We're not growing up in the Lord. Amen. So, so repentance because of then our inward repugnance, our our aversion to sin. We then should this is in your space should put a permanent space between sin and ourselves so that me we may grow in Christ because it's hard to grow in Christ and then keep your environment your surroundings and everything you did before in close proximity to you it's hard to walk with dead bodies attached to you amen so you got to put space between those a third essential element of repentance is a humble self surrender to the will and service of god oh hold on wait a minute somebody god wants to do something that is different from my adamic nature and you're telling me to surrender god wants to do his will in me and that goes against my human will big problem right when the apostle paul was converted from this fanatical stand against Christ the Bible says in Acts 9 and verse number 6 and he trembling astonished said after Ananias come and visited him and laid hands on him said Lord or in the Damascus road scenario rather Lord what wilt thou have me to do and the Lord said to him arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do he struck down off his beast and he came to that defining moment Lord what wilt thou have me to do what happened right at that moment Paul humbled himself to a self-surrender to the will and to the purpose of God he decided at that point in time now my goal in life is not whatever pleases me but whatever is going to please and bring honor unto God and it's that type of surrender that is absolute, absolutely necessary for us in our repentance and for us to be able to grow in God. We must surrender to God. We must again. We have the terminology built around Christ. He is both the Scripture says Savior and Lord, and we're quick to accept His salvation plan, being the Savior for us. But we are more difficulty dealing with His lordship plan. Hmm of submitting our will to Him. So we got to pull away from all those things. And His plan, will be revealed to us. So in review, okay, repentance is not confession. Repentance is not emotion, although they may be pieces or parts of it. Repentance is, number one, a genuine sorrow toward God on account of our sin. Repentance is an inward repugnance, an aversion, a, a strong distaste, if you will, to sin, followed by actual forsakening of it. we got to have that. <laughs> all right can't just be distasteful it's got to be you got to just forsake it and then number three it's humble self-surrender to the will and the service of god now repentance is a lifestyle you're blank there change that's the bottom line change that's what the spirit of the lord is in us to do to change us into the image of the man Christ Jesus repentance again and we know this but let's just look at it again repentance is not just a one time act it's not just an event can I say even this it's not an event it's not just one time act evidently it is a place we live in continually Esau said he found no place of repentance it's a lifestyle Amen. Repentance is the condition of change in our hearts. That's the reason why the apostle Paul said there again in Hebrews 12, 17, again, Esau found no place of repentance. So confession, emotions, yes, they can help lead me to repentance. Amen. Esau, amen, had the emotion. He had the confession. And sometimes we're guilty of that alone today. But we gotta go a little further. We gotta go to true repentance, but he never found it. He never got up. Saul never got up from his confession and his weeping and actually changed his lifestyle. He felt better about what he had done. But he didn't change his lifestyle. Let's go through a series of these now, if you will. Repentance is change after you have left the altar. Repentance is commitment to what you said at the altar. Repentance is living responsible to what you confessed repentance is keeping your obligation repentance is altering the way you live repentance is correcting the error of your way in military terms repentance is making an about face which is a complete 180 degree turnaround. So, if we live in the ebb and flow of just confession and emotion and not repentance, you will live on a spiritual roller coaster of up one time, down the other, spiritually high one time, scraping the bottom of the barrel the other, if it's just confession and just emotion. The only true way to maintain a real walk with the Lord is. Is to con and, and get away from the up and down cycle is to go with true repentance. First John 1, verse number 9. The Bible says, If we confess our sins, He is just and faithful, He is faithful and just, rather, to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness moment you confess for that moment and for that time you're forgiven when you confess your sins alright but true repentance can only free you from the bondage of sin if you go out from that place of confession and continue to commit the same sins you're going to start to live in condemnation repentance means change you haven't repented until you've truly changed You may have confessed and you may have been emotional, but you've not truly repented until you've truly changed. Because repentance isn't all about what you say, it's about what you do. All right? And people have prayers of repentance, and that's great. That's great. But that alone don't do it. That alone don't do it. We got to ask God in prayer. we gotta experience that godly sorrow toward God for the lifestyle that we had. We gotta get up after seeking the Lord and going forward in a different venue of life. Amen. Gotta live with that humble surrender toward God, what your will is, what your service is. Second Chronicles 7 14, a, a scripture on prayer we oftentimes have looked at. He says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, what is this? Experience sorrow towards God and seek my face humble self-surrender to God's will and His service all of this and turn from their wicked ways what a repugnance an aversion towards the wrong living then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land folks as I'm trying to get the plane of the land and we spoke on this in Sunday's past uh, uh, even on Sunday night when I talked about free from sin quit letting sin tell you what to do Romans 6 I'm going to read several verses of scripture and just comment here and there and bring this thing to a close and I read some of these that Sunday night when I preached that message but what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound in other words are we going to keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Repentance, a lot of times throughout Scripture, is typified as death or by death. Verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, look at it, in newness of life. knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died into sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, don't give sin a vote in your life. Don't give sin the time of day. He says in verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, don't even let little errands that are connected with the old way of life, don't run errands like that. Uh, throw yourselves wholeheartedly. Don't be a part-time daughter. Be full time into God's way of doing things. Listen, usually this is just modern world. If you usually work in the realm of being a part-time employee, you don't get benefits. Stop being a part-timer with God because all of the full benefits come whenever you're full-time. Somebody hear me this morning. Oh, I just don't understand. I just don't understand why so-and-so and such and such. Well, you're being a part-timer. You can't expect full pay and full benefits when you're trying to work part-time. Get full-time and the benefits will open up like you've never seen. Amen. And so And We've got we to be full-time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead in so many words. Figuratively. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What's it saying? Sin can't tell you how to live. You're not living under that no more. You're not living under that tyranny anymore. You're not living under that master anymore. You're living under the master, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbids. Well, Pastor McGee, since we're not living under that old tyranny anymore, doesn't that mean we can just live any old way we want? No. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. We got this new freedom in God. We can do anything that comes to our mind. You have misunderstood Scripture greatly. Your freedom in Christ is not just to do whatever you want to do. Amen. You say, well, you're under bondage. I am under bondage. I'm under bondage to a new master. I am you go somewhere and say well they didn't do that at our other workplace well guess what you got a different Boston you used to have well they you know used to they didn't care if we came back just a few minutes late from break and now they want you to be punctual well guess what buddy you're not working for the same company anymore <gasps> I'm okay let's go I gotta shut up let's just <sighs> Verse 16, I'll close with this, if you'll stand with me. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So let's quit letting sin tell us what to do. Let's repent. Confession, yes. Emotion, yes. But let's repent. Let's have a change. And notice, he says, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are. Here's how you determine who your master is. Your master is whoever you're obeying. Your master is whoever you're obeying. You can state with your lips all day long who your master is and make proclamations about it. But whenever the rubber meets the road, whoever you're giving into and whoever you're obeying, that's your master. That's your, regardless what you say, that's your master hallelujah let's bow our heads in this place this morning father i come to you today i pray O lord jesus that you would thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day